you. All right. Thank you guys so much. Hey, just a quick word of thanks to all of you who've given congratulations to Debbie and myself on the uh, wedding and on the marriage of our daughter, Allie. Really appreciate all that. You've been so encouraging and, and frankly, so kind. And uh, we really appreciate that. Last weekend, uh, they were married, married to a young man named Sean and uh, we are so excited. I'll tell you, people keep asking me, how do you feel? How do you feel? And the one word I keep saying is gratitude. I am so grateful for uh, all of God's goodness in our lives. But just wanted to say to you, thank you for sharing in our joy and for celebrating that with us. As we continue this series, Odyssey of an Emerging Leader, I want to talk to you today about identifying potential leaders and passing the baton of leadership. You know, one of the things that I really enjoy about living in upstate New York is personally, I think this is one of the most beautiful, breathtaking parts of the entire nation. I just love upstate New York. I love the topography here, all of the beauty of nature. And as you drive across upstate New York, here's one of the things that you will notice. What you'll notice both in larger cities and small little towns, are a lot of church buildings. Buildings that were once vibrant and pulsing with life. Buildings where once the gospel was preached, where once dynamic communities of faith used to worship God together. But many of those church, former church buildings are now either vacant or some of the smaller ones have been turned into personal homes or into um, community centers, or uh, American Legion post buildings uh, turned into bars or some uh, or stores of some kind. And I, I simply would ask you, how can that happen? Now, some of you who are into sociology, you may say, "Well, Pastor, it's all about the demographics, brother." Don't you know lots of changes have taken place? And as the demographics have changed, that has occurred. Well, I would say that uh, is maybe partially true. But the problem with that is that many of these communities have more people now than they've ever had before. Not all, but many of them do. And so it's not a matter of a diminishing population or even of a stagnant, depressed economy in some of these areas. The problem is that those very communities failed to raise up, identify, train, mobilize, and pass the baton of leadership to younger leaders. What we're talking about today is of vital importance. Spiritual leaders have a responsibility to pass the baton. You say, well, does the Bible really teach that? Well, let me share a couple of key scriptures, one from the Old and one from the New Testament. Deuteronomy 4.9 says, only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them slip from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. 
There's a clear sense in the old covenant that, hey, what you've received, what you've experienced with God, it's not to remain just with you, it's to be passed on to the generations. And then there's 2 Timothy 2, verse 2. Paul writes to his young protege, this young man he's mentoring in the faith and in ministry, and says, the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who will also be able or qualified to teach others. It's often said there are four generations of leaders represented there in that one verse. Again, the idea is what you've received, God wants you to pass on. Someone has said that Christianity is always one generation away from extinction. I agree with that statement but it's also one generation away from renewal and revival. And so the question is, how are we passing the baton? So there can be a resurgence of Christianity instead of a decline. So today's message, I wanna speak directly to the hearts of parents and grandparents. I wanna speak straight to the very heart and mind of small group leaders and elders and ministry leaders and coaches and teachers and anyone involved in passing truth on to the next generation. It is our responsibility to raise up biblically literate spiritual leaders because here's the truth. In one generation, just like you see all across upstate New York, our buildings can be empty shells or they can be vibrant hubs of spiritual power. It all depends on how we pass the baton to future leaders. It's no exaggeration to say that virtually our whole future rises and falls on how we're doing with today's topic. Now, with that as an introduction, some of you may be sitting there asking, well, Pastor Rex, how are we doing? I'm so glad you asked. I never cease to be amazed at the incredible questions you guys ask. It it amazes me. How are we doing? Well, the answer is good and bad. Well, thank you, Pastor, for being so clear about that. We're doing good, but we're kind of doing poorly. Let me explain what I mean. In the one, one sense, we're doing quite well. For over two decades now, I've been so honored to see young people and middle-aged people and at times people in their sunset years that God has tapped on the shoulder, they've responded in obedience to his call, and they've launched out into a life of ministry. And I'm talking here vocational ministry. Just several weeks ago, I was asked to sign another one of those recommendation forms uh, for one of our young men who's grown up in our church. His name is Jordan Brussel, wonderful family, worships at our Half Moon congregation. Shout out to Half Moon, yeah, and to the Brussel family. And this awesome family, Jordan Brussel, is feeling the call of God and sensing God's guidance to enter seminary, which he's doing this fall down in a wonderful school in Virginia. And that's been the story I've been privileged to watch for over two decades. 
As I thought about it, we have young people that God has called all over the world. We have people serving in developing countries, people serving in urban areas, people serving in rural places. It's unbelievable. Following the call of God on their life. And we also have scores and scores of younger leaders who are missionaries for the Lord Jesus Christ, cleverly disguised as attorneys. Missionaries for the Lord Jesus Christ, cleverly disguised as nurses, cleverly disguised as school teachers, as ball coaches, cleverly disguised as homemakers, cleverly disguised as CEOs, and business leaders, and professors. You get the idea? Those are the people that I'm probably just as excited about, if not more, because I believe that people like myself will never win the world for Jesus Christ. You know where I think the key is? I think the key to the kingdom and our future advance is in those Christian missionaries who are cleverly disguised as normal people. Not weirdos like me who get up and preach to folks. It's the normal people that are really going to make the difference. So in one sense, I think by God's grace, we're doing quite well. But there's another sense in which I think we're, we're struggling the Southern Baptist Convention recently put out a study where they say their research indicates, and this is the largest Protestant denomination in America, by the way, that 70% of teens, it says, who are involved in a church youth group will stop attending church within two years of their high school graduation. That's the latest report. Now, if that's true, folks, that is incredibly sad. But I sometimes wonder, and I have no stats on how we're doing, but I wonder if we're doing much better. The challenge is always to pass the baton of the faith on so that those who come behind us not only found us faithful, but they were so inspired by the Lord that they embrace the faith and they're living it out on their own. Now, with all those things in mind, I want us to focus our attention now for a few moments on 1 Samuel chapter 16. In this study we're calling Odyssey of an Emerging Leader, we come to a very interesting passage today where there's a transition in leadership. King Saul has been the leader of this united kingdom up until now, and God calls Samuel to anoint a younger leader. 1 Samuel 16, verse 1 reads, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul since I've rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. Now, let's push pause right there on the story. Why is God, quote unquote, done with Saul? What has gone on here that has made him morally unfit to lead? Well, many things. I'll mention two or three. One is 
He, at one point, usurped the place of the priest and did what God had commanded should never be done. He offered improper sacrifices by his impatience. He refused to wait until Samuel arrived. And so God was very clear that he was displeased with this. On another occasion, Samuel made a stupid command that no soldier should eat anything until the enemy was avenged. And when his own son, Jonathan, who hadn't heard the command, ate some honey, Saul was actually prepared to kill his own son until his soldiers intervened and stopped him. And then just last weekend, we saw how that Saul had, in blatant rebellion against God's command, had refused to kill the king of the enemy, the Amalekites, and Samuel had ended up doing it. So the time has come to replace King Saul. He's been on a spiritual and moral drift. He's lost the moral authority to lead. So here's the first principle I want us to see today. A wise spiritual leader acknowledges that there's an appropriate time to bring on fresh leadership. Now, most of the things I'm saying today could be applied to almost any realm of leadership, even though we're clearly uh, talking primarily about spiritual leadership, which is the most important. Years ago... Dean Smith was the coach of North Carolina, the Tar Heels. Now, for those of you who love college basketball, the name Dean Smith is like a household name to you. He was a coach for decades there, had such an amazing winning program. Uh, At one time, he had, you know, Michael Jordan and Sam Perkins on the same team, along with James Worthy. I mean, you talk about a stacked team. It was unbelievable the talent he had during the decade of the 80s. But in the final years of Dean Smith's coaching career, he began to have more losses than usual. And the problem was he had trouble recruiting the best players. People would warn the best players around the country, these high school recruits, don't go to North Carolina. Coach Smith is too old, you know. He's going to retire soon, and you'll be stuck there. You don't know who the new leader's going to be. And so Coach Smith couldn't recruit the best players to come to North Carolina in those final years. The perception was that his age was the problem even though he knew more about basketball than probably just about anybody alive. The same thing happens in churches and in families. Parents, I would say to you that even though you have the wisdom to help your teenage children enormously, they probably don't think so. That's just the way it works. Even though you could help them, you could coach them and counsel them all kinds of life situations, they're not convinced of that probably. And so we as parents, when our children are kind of in that age range, need to be very open to youth pastors and small group leaders and mentors and coaches and other wise individuals coming along and offering help because our kids perceive that our age is a problem even though it may not be. Be wise enough to cultivate and take advantage of those other leaders and their input. 
God said to Samuel, look, it's time for some new leadership. Saul is not effective anymore. And verse 2 reads, but Samuel said, how can I go? In other words, to Bethlehem and anoint a new leader. Saul will hear about it and kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Samuel was wise enough to know. He'd been around Saul enough to know exactly how he would react. And so God directed him in how to work around Saul's suspicions. So here's the second principle I want to underscore today. A wise spiritual leader anticipates some opposition to change, no matter how appropriate the change may be. I heard about a 60-year-old guy who said to his 82-year-old dad, Dad, I think it's time for you to turn the business over to me. And his dad said, no, son, I don't think so. My dad just turned it over to me three years ago. (laughs) Have you noticed that trend? There are some people who just are so reluctant to pass that baton. Maybe they think that no leader's gonna be good enough. Maybe they think young, younger people just aren't wise enough. They just lack experience. They don't see anyone capable of taking things to the next level. And so there will always be people who vehemently oppose any change in leadership, whether it's your small group, whether it's your your Bible class, whether it's your ministry, there'll be people who will oppose that because they're just fearful, fearful of change. Verse four reads, when he, that is Samuel, arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked him, do you come in peace? Now, I wonder why they were so afraid. Maybe his reputation as a strong spiritual leader preceded him. Or maybe they, they knew what he had just done with King Agag, and they wondered, wow, what's he gonna do here? Maybe he, they're afraid he's coming to judge them. Maybe they were afraid just of the possibilities of change. We don't know. But even though Saul was corrupt, they felt at least he's a known commodity. And they, they trembled at the thought of what was about to occur. You know, Debbie and I had a chance to minister in the country of Croatia last year. It was an awesome time of ministry. I got to preach a lot there. We got to, I got to lead a leadership seminar and counsel with a lot of leaders all over the country of Croatia. Now, Croatia, for those of you who may not be aware, is one of seven countries that came out of the former country of Yugoslavia. And Yugoslavia, for decades, was a communist country, steeped in communists, one of the more strict communist countries. And we were stunned at what we heard from leaders, both young and old. Leaders would say to us everywhere we went, and by the way, the country is now a capitalist system, okay? It's more of a democracy now, more capitalistic system, Leaders everywhere we went would say, we like communism better. Now, imagine, we were stunned by that statement. We like communism better. And, and we would scratch our heads and go, now, now help us understand what you mean by that or why you say that. And, and it really came down to a lot of insecurity and fear. 
because they say at least then everybody had a job. At least then we had security. We knew that everybody was going to eat. And now they're seeing that everybody isn't equal because some are much more industrious than others and some are are really getting creative and learning how they can make this new system work, both for themselves and so they can help others. And so the, 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 the known and the security that they felt in this socialistic system is trumping the challenge of capitalism in this uncertain future. So we need to understand this as leaders. If you're a leader today, I I just want to drill this down deep into the bedrock of your soul. Hear me. Anytime you instigate change, get ready for opposition. Spiritual leaders need to always ask two questions. What is best for this organization? And second, we need to ask, how are people going to respond? What's absolutely best for this organization going forward? And second, how are people going to respond to that? Both of those questions are important. But if question number two becomes more important than question number one, there are seldom any changes. And that's exactly where most churches, by the way, find themselves stuck and stagnant. Leaders know what would be best going forward, but they're so afraid of people's reaction, they're stuck. And they never make any appropriate changes. So one of the principles we've learned through the years is that you can recover from a mistake, but you can hardly ever recover from stagnation. There's just something insidious about stagnation that's hard to overcome. So as a church, Grace Fellowship, and boy, I don't need to tell those of you who've been here for a while uh, this, but we're going to always be changing. We're going to always be trying new methods and new ways to make more and better disciples And through the years, we've tried lots of things, lots of different programs, lots of different methods, because methods are many. Principles are few. Methods always change. They gotta keep changing. Principles never do. And all the things we've tried, everything, I think I could honestly say, has produced some fruit. But I wanna stand here before you today as you're, senior pastor and say, we're going to keep on trying lots of new things in the future. We're not going to do it in a silly way or a trendy way or a flippant way. We're always going to be careful and cerebral. We're going to be cautious as we try new things, but we're always going to be changing. And I know how much some of you struggle with that. But here's what I want you to hear. While our methods will always change, our message, everybody listening? Our message of redemption through Jesus Christ alone will never change. The gospel never changes. We don't have a right to go messing with the Bible and changing things on our own. But the way we go about doing ministry must always, always be incrementally changing. 
Verse 5 reads, Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Now, let's read on in this classic story and see what happens here because I think there's a number of small lessons as we go through this, and I'm just gonna pause briefly and highlight them for you. Some of these lessons I'm gonna point out, we could literally spend 20 minutes on, but I'm just gonna mention them and quickly move on for the sake of time. Verse six, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, woo, that's in the Hebrew, all right, woo, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. See, he sees this young man, Eliab, who looks every inch a leader. Everything about him is charismatic. He speaks of leadership. He just reeks of it. Samuel was initially making the mistake that many of us make. He was evaluating this person on the outward appearance rather than character and the heart, and that's a problem. Now, uh, let's acknowledge something right here. And by the way, many studies have been done on this. You know what? You are really blessed as a leader if you're kind of taller, thinner, really good looking, basically like me, okay? That's what I'm saying, all right? No, not at all. I'm challenged in all of those areas. But you're blessed as a leader if you're taller. So many top-level leaders tend to be a little taller than others. Leaders tend to be pretty good-looking people all around. That's just the way it works because folks want to follow someone that physically kind of looks better. That's just the truth. I'm not making this up. And yet there are some great examples of people who didn't look so great and who were shorter who became great leaders, of course. John Wesley was just a small little guy, barely over five feet, and became the great leader of the church throughout what we today call the United Kingdom. And then there's Winston Churchill, this portly Britisher who became a world-class leader. Sometimes unattractive, diminutive leaders overcompensate, though, and become kind of dictatorial and very insecure. The chief executive of one company was only 5'4", and he was very sensitive about his height, so the employees were very careful not to crack any short jokes, you know, and they were afraid of his reaction. But one day, the boss came in after lunch. He was extremely agitated. He explained that someone on the street had picked his pocket. He was just miffed about this, really upset. One guy just couldn't hold back any longer. And he said, well, how could anyone stoop so low? (laughs) And the office quickly became vacant because the laughter couldn't be restrained for long. Samuel was enamored with Eliab because he was tall, dark, handsome. He had this awesome appearance. But before Samuel could even uncork the bottle of oil to anoint him, the Lord interrupted. And verse seven is one of those verses. It's one of those gems from the Old Testament. You probably want to star in your Bible or underline. You may want to memorize this verse. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look on the things man looks at. 
Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Wow, what a great, great principle for us to learn. But let's quickly move on. Here's the third major principle I want us to consider in this study. A wise spiritual leader sees beyond the surface and evaluates people from God's perspective. That's what God was teaching through Samuel here. In choosing leaders, we have to look beyond the physical and see the person's heart. Sometimes you have to look beyond not just the physical, but you have to look beyond their track record. Now, I know that it's just a mantra in business that future performance is basically going to look kind of like the past performance. Past performance is the biggest indicator of future performance. And that is generally true. But you know, there are times when some, especially younger leaders, have made some egregious mistakes, have blown it morally or whatever, and we need to be wise enough to see, wow, that was just a one-time thing. That doesn't represent a character flaw. That simply represents a very bad decision. And we need to give them some grace and be willing in time to trust them again and reinstate them. Jesus did that with Simon Peter, didn't he? Peter had made a series of bad mistakes. He had actually denied that he knew the Lord. And Jesus saw the repentant heart of Peter and he said, Peter, you're my choice. I want you to be the preacher on the day of Pentecost. I want you to feed my sheep, be one of the key leaders in the early church. And spiritual leaders are determined by the condition of the heart, not the appearance of the body, not personality quirks, and certainly not by failures. Oh, I hope we're hearing that today. That ought to be good news, by the way, because that means that no matter what your past is, God has redemptive potential for you. And that is good news indeed. So God made it clear here, Eliab's not the one even though he was physically impressive. Verse eight, then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord's not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. Can I just quickly point out another little lesson here that I've learned sometimes the hard way? One of the biggest mistakes that I've made over all the years of leadership where I've, I've been a leader is I have sometimes panicked when there was a vacancy in some area. Thought, oh, we gotta fill this. Oh, we gotta fill this so quickly. Oh, we gotta get someone for this. And I've sometimes rushed God's agenda and paid the price. Wise spiritual leaders need to be willing to wait for God's timing and for God's person, even though we may be growing impatient. Better the position be vacant for a while than to fill it with someone who is not God's choice. Verse 11, so he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? Well, they're still the youngest, Jesse answered, but he is tending the sheep. 
Samuel said, we'll send for him and we'll not sit down until he arrives. In other words, we're not going to eat until he gets here. And so I'm sure they rushed because they were probably hungry. By the way, just another little observation. You know what I've noticed is that family members are sometimes oblivious to the potential in one of their own family members. Have you noticed that? We naturally tend to think that the firstborn is going to be the leader of all. Or we think the one that's the most extroverted and talks the most is is the real leader. But you know what I've observed through the years? That God often uses the people that we would never think. For instance, think of the times God used sons who were not the firstborn. Noah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Ephraim, Moses were selected by the Lord over their more socially influential siblings. God often has something in mind that we just don't see. And Jesse said, well, there is one other. he's, He's just a boy. He's out tending a few sheep. I kind of forgot about him. I didn't think you'd be interested. Verse 12, so he sent and had him brought in. He was ruddy with a fine appearance and handsome features. David may have been uh, short, but he was certainly a handsome young guy. And then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. He's the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Let me point out one final little brief lesson here for those of you who desire maybe to be used by God in significant ways. You know something that astounds me about this whole thing? From the time Samuel anointed David to the time he actually became king, at least 10 years elapsed in between those. From the time God said, this is the one, this is the next king, to the time he actually became the king, in fact, there were over 10 years in between. Now, here's my point. Some of you are eager to step up and find that niche and begin to be the leader God, you believe God has called you and designed you to be, but you're wondering why it's taken so long. Can't you... Imagine David feeling that way during those 10 years. Wait a minute. They they said I'm the one. I even officially got anointed by the guy, Samuel himself. What's taking so long here? I once, when I was in college, I was feeling very, very impatient about leadership. I wanted to get going with things. And I talked to a leader named Barry St. Clair from Atlanta, had a conversation with him about it. And Barry St. Clair said to me, after hearing my story and just sensing, I think, in the spirit what was going on, he said, wait as long as you possibly can to become a public leader. Because once you're launched out there, once you go public as a leader, honestly, a lot of that deep, inner character building that God desires to do may get frustrated. My advice is wait as long as you can. Don't push God's timing. And I've always believed that was good advice. 
God is in the business of raising up young women and men to be his next generation of leaders. And you know what I think? Here's what I believe about you at all of our locations, in all of our congregations. I believe that there are young people listening right now that God has plans for. Honestly, if you knew what they were, you would either blush or faint if you knew what God has in store for you. And I'm going to ask you to do something in just a moment because we want to kind of commission you today. We just read a story where Samuel uncorked a horn of oil and anointed a young guy as this amazing leader. Took time for that to develop. But I want to sort of symbolically do that for many of you today. And so here's what I'm going to ask you to do at Latham, at Saratoga, at Half Moon, at Greenbush. I want everyone, and I'm going to give you the age range that I'm going to ask you to stand for. I'm not going to ask you to say anything or do anything, so don't be nervous. All you're going to do is just stand where you are. And I want you to do this if there are two or if there are 20 or if there are 200, all right? I want you to stand, no matter how many or how few there are that fit into this age range, because I want to pray a prayer of commissioning for you. So right now, I want to ask you, if you are 29 years old or younger, would you just stand to your feet right now and remain standing for a few moments? All over the room, all over the sanctuary, if you're 29 years old or younger, I want you to just stand up and remain standing. Now, for those of you who are not standing, that means you're a more seasoned person, right? You're a little more seasoned, but I want you to kind of look around with joy at some of these younger faces that God is working in. These young men and women are amazing. And I want to say to you, before I pray for you, here's my final word. I want to tell you, young people, you have amazing potential. You have amazing potential and ability given to you by God. I believe that if you yielded your life and fully consecrated yourselves to him, I think this world would not be the same if you became the kind of women and men who are fully consecrated to God. Gave your life fully to him. And I'm gonna ask you in these coming years to hold us accountable. Will you do that? Now remember this. I want you to hold us accountable, not just to pray for you and encourage you and to help train you, but to actually pass the baton of leadership. When the right moment comes, would you do that for us? And now, as you continue to stand, I want to pray this prayer of commissioning for you. Father, would you use these young people in such powerful and profound ways that this world would be shaken for the Lord Jesus Christ? Lord, I ask that all the issues, all the turmoil or problems that might be swirling in their young lives right now as they're trying to figure out maybe who they are or what they're going to do in life or uh, what they're going to do next. And I'm sure a lot of those questions are there. I ask God that you'd give clarity and purpose and a crystal clear sense of what you'd be pleased with in their lives. Bring around them the kind of godly, mature mentors that could help them along this journey. 
And Father, I pray finally that you'd give them the courage to not only stand for you, but to step out for you and to commit their lives for your kingdom purposes. This is our prayer for them. May they be encouraged today and may they go from this place on top of the world because they know that their life is in the hands of the one to whom it all belongs. In Jesus' name we pray. And all of God's people agreed and said, amen and amen. God bless you. you-